0: The scripture this reading is from Acts 5, verses 12 through 42, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. Wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they sent them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach the name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our father raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in high honor by the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care of what you are about to do with these men. For behold, before these days, Thutis rose up, and claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about four hundred, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. And after him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. If this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might be even found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for his name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. You may be seated. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, good morning. It is good to see you this morning. Glad you're here. Hope you're doing well. We are uh, excited to have you with us as we continue Our study in the book of Acts, and and we we mention it, I think, every week that we're one church and ten congregations. There are ten congregations around the state this morning studying this same passage, and there's something we think powerful about that, about studying chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through a book. Now, we don't do that 100% of the time, but the vast majority of the time. And so each week, in a way, builds on the week before. And we're in the middle, as you listen to Shirley read that, this is a long passage. And I've been teaching for almost 30 years. And the most difficult passages to teach are the ones, for me, are the ones we're in today. A long narrative. Because you want to get the story, but but I want well, what's the so what to us? Is this just a history lesson where we're looking back and and yes, that's true but but how does it apply to us today so So my hope is through reading that, looking at that, us going through it, you're going to get pretty familiar with the story, but I want to emphasize. How we can climb into the lives of these guys and, and learn for our life today. Okay, so that's the mission. It's a big one. I have a big old clock telling me I have 25 minutes, and there's no way that's going to happen. So I'll just tell you already we're going to be late, but that's all right. I think. I don't know. We stopped last week at Acts chapter 5, verse 11. And it reads like this, A great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. What things? Well, it was Acts 5, 1 through 10. It's a story of Ananias and Sapphira. It's a husband and wife who came before Peter and lied. They lied. They were separate, Ananias came in first, three hours later or so, Sapphira came in, and both lied, and in both instances, they were struck dead. Now, now that would cause some fear in the church, especially if you were there and a hypocrite. What what if you thought God was going to clean out the church next Sunday, and all the liars were going to die? I'll bet it wouldn't be very hard to get a seat here. I'll bet there would be a lot of parking open. There's fear upon it, and what God's doing is demonstrating that he takes sin seriously, and he wants his church, and just by way of maybe interest, in chapter 5, verse 11, that's the first time the word church appears in the New Testament or in the book of Acts. God wants his church, and and by that we don't mean the building, we mean the people in it. God wants you to be pure and holy. And he takes this seriously. Not because he's a punitive God who's sitting in heaven and wants to zap you if you have fun, but because he's a God who wants what's best for you. And what's best for you is what he says. It's to obey him. Now, imagine the church, okay? This happens. Imagine the small groups the week after this happens. Imagine the discussion among the people of the church. Imagine you're at Costco and you run into somebody and and you say, were you in church Sunday? Yeah, were you? Yeah. What do you think of that? What do you think God's doing? It might even had, and I wrote some questions, it might even had the people going, is God, is God done with us? My best day behind me? Ever going to use me again? I uh, taught years ago the book of Jonah. And there's a Great passage in the book of Jonah that communicates this idea to us. God is the God of a second chance, and a third chance, and a fourth chance. God doesn't give up on his people. You might be here today, and you might, as you hear about sin and the seriousness of it, you might be reflecting back over the last week. Maybe just last night. Maybe you got up this morning and said, I, I've really blown this. Can God forgive me? Well, yeah, I think he can, but I'll bet he never uses me. I'll bet he'll use you if you're available to him. If your heart breaks with sin, as God does, the story that we just heard read is pretty familiar to us we've seen a a variation of it in acts chapter 3 chapter 4 and now in chapter 5 the church huddles together they live in community they're sharing things in common they're praying together studying together and then into the world they go or The world comes into them, and they're suffering, hardship, persecution. And when we pick up the story in Acts chapter 5 verse 12, that's exactly what's happening. In verse 12, the second part of it, they're of one accord in Solomon's portico. Solomon's portico is where Jesus would frequently go and preach. We're pretty sure... In John 10, it's where he preached the message where he said, I'm the good shepherd. It's where Peter preached that sermon that I had a chance to teach here, what, three or four weeks ago in Acts chapter 3. And they go, and, and there's a certain group in verse 13 that doesn't dare associate with them. They see what's going on, and they say, that's not for me. But they were held in high esteem isn't that interesting? There were people in the community that said i i, I can't i don't want to be part of that, but i 'm pretty impressed by the people that do. See that should be our reputation in the community even even the people that think you 're nuts to be here on Sunday morning at ten forty five they 're looking at you and they, and they 're saying there's something." different about those people. Not odd, different. They respond differently. They act differently. In a world that seems all messed up, they, they, they seem to know what they're doing, and they live right, and they live with conviction, and that should be what the world sees when it sees us. Verse 14... God is expanding the church. We talk a lot about evangelism and sharing and growing the church and growing people. How does that happen best? It happens best when you're salt and light in the world, when your heart is changed, when you are changed by the Holy Spirit, you become an agent of change in the world around you. There's always something uh, I've had. This is my third time teaching here. And I I have everybody say to me, what's it like out there? What's the group like? I say, oh, they're really odd and weird, and you don't want to be part of it. No, I say, it's really interesting. It's a great setting. I love the vibe. I love the feel. And then this is my impression. They're so young. It seems... Like it's filled with a lot of younger men and women. I I don't I don't know if you're GCU students. If you're, are, are you? Some of you <laughs> couldn't get in ASU. No, just <laughs> kidding. Actually, I've become a big fan of GCU. Been out there a few times. Had a chance to teach. I love it. But they're young, okay? Let's not get away. I lost my point there. You distracted me. It's your fault. And they're young. And there's something about youth. There's an idealism to it. You know, I'm going to change things. I want to be a radical. That, that's how we were. I was in college in the late 60s and early 70s, and we were radical. We grew our hair really long. We all dressed alike and smelled alike to tell the world we were different, which doesn't make much sense. But there's something about about a, a, a new generation in every generation that you want to change the world. Let me tell you how to change the world. Come to Jesus and follow him. You'll have a transformed heart and an informed mind, and that will lead to a radical life. And that's what's happening in this church that we're studying. So much is going on that in verse 13, they're seeing healing happen. I guess verse 15. And they're bringing cots and pallets. A cot would, would be a kind of a small bed. Pallet would be a mattress stuffed with straw. The cots would be used by the rich. The pallets by the poor. It was the message that the Christian faith was cutting across all lines, economic lines, racial lines, huge in that day and age, gender lines. And the apostles are living this stuff. And there's miracles and wonders and signs. God's doing something. And the people are responding to it. Verse 16, and there's people from outside the city of Jerusalem. I apologize for bending over. I know I've done this enough to know this is not a very pleasant posture to look at, but I got so much junk going on. I'm having a hard time breathing. That's the only way I get relief. So it looks bad, but I feel good. So that's all you need to know. It's for my own good. What they're seeing here. Is what we said was the key verse of the book. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the outermost, remotest parts of the world. God has a plan and He works His plan. Just to remind you, Acts chapter 2, verse 41, 3,000 people are saved. Verse 47 of Acts chapter 2, the Lord's adding to their number day by day. Chapter 4, verse 4: now the church is about 5,000. 514, he's adding to their number. 6-7, uh, the disciples continue increasing in Jerusalem. The church is growing. And wherever the church grows, and wherever Christians thrive, inevitably comes suffering and persecution. And that's what happens. Look with me, verse 17. The high priest rose up along with his associates. It's the sect called the Sadducees. And here's their motive. They're filled with jealousy. They're jealous that the name of Jesus is being preached and the resurrection is being preached. And people are responding. And they're afraid they're going to lose their influence, their position. And they're afraid. So what they do is take the disciples and have them arrested in verse 18. Put them into jail. But an angel comes and opens the door and tells them, go your way, stand and speak to the people in the temple, the whole message of life. They were told, if we go back to, to Peter's first message, don't be preaching this gospel. Stay out of the temple. And they said, well, we can't do that. We've got to obey God. So ultimately, they beat him and let him go, and they go through it again, and they go through it again, and here it is again. This angel comes and releases them in the middle of the night. Verse 21 The high priest and his associates come together and they call a council and they call the Senate of the Sons of Israel and they send an order to the prison house and say, bring those guys to us. Well, the officers come and said, we got a problem. The prison's there, the door's locked, but the guys are gone. So they're about to say in verse 24 go and investigate this, because they're perplexed. How can this happen? I've asked you to imagine what it's like for the apostles. Imagine what it's like for these guys. They've thought they've had this Christian thing shut down several times. I'm sure the night of the crucifixion, those Jewish leaders were together saying, finally, we're done with Jesus. This baby's done. Then there's the resurrection, a little bit of excitement. They say, well, we're going to come up with some sort of a story explanation for this. We got it done. And then they arrest Peter and John, and they think, got it done. Then they arrest Peter and John, got it done. They arrest them again. They got them in jail. They got them locked up. Nobody can get in. Nobody can get out. We got it done. They're out again. What do we do? How do we stop it? Where are these guys? In verse 25, all of a sudden, somebody comes in and says, we found them. You're not going to believe it. They're in the temple preaching again. And, And off the temple guard captain goes, and they arrest them, We're told in verse 26, they bring him back without violence. They were afraid of the people. And now Peter and John, the apostles, are before the council. And they say in verse 28, Didn't we give you strict orders not to continue preaching in this name? And behold, you fill Jerusalem with your teaching. And you're trying to put his blood on us. Verse 29, Peter crystallizes the whole issue for them, for you, for me, for us. We must obey God rather than man. Your, your problem is not with me. Your problem's with God. He told us to do this. Your battle's with him. And then he gives them the many message again. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus. Jesus, look at verse 30, who you put to death. He's told him this three or four times. You're guilty. It's the one who God exalted to his right hand as the prince and a savior. You put him to death, but God raised him from the dead, and we're the witnesses of all things. That's the gospel. That's our message. What do we have to say to the world? That Christ died and rose again, and he died for our sin. When John's message mentioned we're in the middle or the second week, I guess, of Lent, that we're leading up to Easter, Easter's a big deal. The resurrection is a big deal. It's what separates biblical Christianity from everything else. If you're here today and you're antagonistic toward us or you're skeptical, I'm going to make your job really easy. If you want to blow this whole thing apart, all you have to do is disprove the resurrection. If that resurrection's not real, then this whole thing is a joke. You'd be way better off staying home than coming here. But the resurrection's real. Jesus rose from the dead. That's their message that they preach over and over and over and over again. And it's our message we talk about game changer, that's the game changer. And many of you in this room, and we'll see it manifest in a minute, you'll take communion as a testimony to the fact that you believe Jesus rose and died for you. There's something in our mind, almost naturally, I think, that says, if I'm obeying God rather than man, why is there this suffering and resistance and difficulty, even persecution? I I, I don't know if you have any idea how something like this comes together. There's a lot of parts that come into it. But one of the things, and every church does it differently, At Peoria, at least now, with me guesting in, we don't coordinate between the message and the music or the Bible reading. So I was sitting down here, first service, when Josh said, let's read Scripture, and he read Romans 5, verse 1 through 5, and it was right here in the message that I had that passage marked out. Let me remind you what it says. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus. Through him also, we obtained our introduction to the faith. Romans 5.3, not only this, but you also, listen to the words now, exalt in our tribulation. That an odd phrase. We exalt in tribulation. How can that be? Here's what he says: Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. In your life, God will always allow or cause tribulation and suffering and persecution. And hardship. Why would he do that? Well, God knows that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character. A sister passage to this is James chapter 1 verse 2. Count it all joy, brethren, when you encounter various trials. Isn't that an odd phrase? Count it joy when I encounter various trials? How can that be? Here's the word again. Knowing. You know something. You know the testing of your faith produces endurance. Years ago, I started using a phrase. And not even close. It's the most repeated phrase back to me by by people who sat when I've taught. Here it is. What you know trumps what you feel. Now, the problem with that phrase now is one word. What is it? Yeah, I know. He screwed the whole thing up for me Trump. Right? What you know trumps what you feel. It doesn't feel like this persecution would be of God. It doesn't feel like that hardship, that suffering, that difficulty. But God says, I want you to know something. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a word picture here. Suffering is spiritual aerobics. He's going to test you. He's going to push just like you do physically. You, you push yourself and push yourself and push yourself so that you get stronger. That's what suffering is. These guys, to me, are amazing. They're right back at it. You you read the narrative, so you've got it. Opposition comes. The story comes. There's a guy by the name of Gamil who's probably the greatest of the rabbis that had ever lived. He speaks. He gives him some advice. So they decide, we're going to let you go. Now, we're going to beat you first, but we're going to let you go. So they let him go, in verse 41, and they went from the presence of the council rejoicing that they'd been considered worthy to suffer. And what did they do? They didn't go, well... That was a great chapter. We learned a valuable lesson there. That's really helpful. Boy, that's a high moment for God. Never going to get any better than that. No. Verse 42, every day they're in the temple and going from house to house, teaching and preaching. Preaching is the idea of speaking to those who are not yet followers of Christ, and teaching is the idea of taking those of us who know Christ, and teaching us principles to grow with him. How can these guys do it? Let me give you this. I've got 30 seconds. They genuinely believe this truth. And the truth changed their life. Change lives, then begin to change lives. I wrote this. They saw God working. There's something so powerful about that. Friday afternoon, Friday night, Saturday morning, I was uh, up in the mountains with a group of about 30 guys, and I'd been invited to come and to share on a couple of topics they gave me. And... uh, As the date got closer, uh, I more and more regretted taking it. I just didn't feel like going. And I got up there, and the first thing they did was, who am I and why am I here? Introduce yourself. Here's how I got here. Here's why I'm here. Took about an hour. It's a long time. By the end of that hour, I was so jacked up excited to be there because it was a story of one guy's life being touched by another guy's life, touching another life. It was a story of guys whose lives uh, were broken, whose families had fallen apart, and who God had put them back together again. Are you around that? Are you part of that? That's why you need community. When's the last time you saw God work in your life? Answer a prayer, give you wisdom, give you opportunities. I, I, I heard the request saying we always need help. Need help in children's, need help up front, need help setting up. You want God to use you in a powerful way? Get involved you're going to see him work. So here you go, bow around the whole thing. God has a plan, and it's almost certainly different than the plan you have. But here's the deal. It's better than your plan. It's mysterious sometimes. I'm sure there had to be something in these guys' lives and in the lives of the church that said, I don't understand why God's doing this. I don't understand why this is going on this way. See, God is mysterious. We try to figure this out, and we seem to want to explain God away, but I don't think I want to worship a God that I can fully understand. That isn't intellectual suicide. It's called faith. If I could figure this whole thing out, it wouldn't take faith. God has a plan. And you're part of it. I say that not to inflate you in some way, but I'm saying he's got a plan. He's got a big plan. And the key here is not for you to graft God into your plan. It's for you to, To be grafted into God's plan. And the plan has in it hardship, difficulty, suffering. We're not focused here on results. You and I live in a very result oriented world. I I get the newspaper, I only want to know did you win or did you lose? Because if you won, you're a winner, and if you lost, you're a loser. That's how we tend to think. It's not true, but we tend to think that way. God, okay, really important. I don't even know if it's fair to drop this on you with no time left. God doesn't care about the end result. That's his job. He cares about the process. How you're doing what you're doing is far more important than what you're doing. He wants you to obey Him. He wants you to live for His honor and His glory. And in His plan, there may be suffering and hardship and difficulty for you. And it may not be the plan you chose, but it's the one He's chosen. That's the story of the book of Acts. That's the story of the church. That's your story and mine. What we want to do is take a couple of minutes and have you ask the Holy Spirit to apply that to your life. What's God teaching you through the history of this early church? Sit and think about that, and the guys will come back and Lead us in communion and close our time of worship.